0: Welcome to On the Solid Rock Podcast. Our mission is to make Jesus known on this platform and beyond. Now, let's dive into this episode of On the Solid Rock. And welcome everyone to the show, the second episode of the On the Solid Rock Podcast. I'm your host, Don Gardner, and we have an amazing Episode for you. Joining us for this episode, and I hope she forgives me because I'm about to butcher her name because all the inmates would tell you I'm a name butcher. I I'm just going to destroy names. I got it as Nicole Henson. Is that correct? You got it perfect. All right. right. Yes. Yes. And Nicole, you got an amazing testimony you shared your testimony with me and when i read it it absolutely floored me and i said this this needs to be talked about so i want to thank you nicole for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the show and let's just dive right into it tell us a little bit about your background and tell us about your this
1: amazing testimony the floor is yours Well, thank you. Thank you for the invite. Any chance I get to tell about what the Lord has done in my life and what he's doing just in general, I love to share. I love to share about God and his healing and deliverance power. So it really, for me, goes back to the beginning of my life. Um, My parents got married when my mom was very young and my biological dad was extremely violent toward her. So when i was around three she finally got the courage and was able to leave him but he lived in florida and her family lived in indiana so i was sent to him in the summertime and every other christmas for visits early on when i was around seven years old he got remarried for i think it was his third marriage and when i visited i could immediately tell something was very very different i don't know who introduced who but he was heavily involved in the occult By the time I got there for that visit, he was already deep in it. I don't have a ton of memories of that time, but the things that I remember is he would wear crystals and say that they gave him power. There was animal sacrifices. Um, He convinced me that he could read my mind. So no matter where I was at, I was never safe because he could see me and hear me at all times. And that's really when I remember for sure the sexual abuse um, started. I know. It for sure started then, possibly sooner, uh, but I do have solid memories of that time. There was a lot of ritualistic abuse. There was um, like using blood of animals and blood and just really dark things. And I think the biggest thing that he introduced me to was fear, because even when I would go back home, I spent the majority of my time in Indiana. My visits with him were only about three months but because of feeling like he could read my mind. And as a young child, I seen him do these rituals and and do these things. So I had no doubt in my mind that he could read my mind. And he would always tell me if I told he would kill me and he would kill my mom. And so when I went back to Indiana, I can remember laying in bed at night and just shaking and being afraid and feeling like there was a thousand eyes staring at me. You know, There's times I'd swear up and down that I saw eyes staring at me. And Fear was a constant with me, always, 24-7. I never felt safe. I never had a place in my house where I felt like I was safe. No situations where I felt safe. And I also had this really weird thing where um, I couldn't sleep alone. So when I would stay with my grandma, I would sleep in bed with her. And I can remember having a huge fear that I would wake up and she would be dead. And her skin would touch my skin. So from early on, I had a major phobia of dead things, which, of course, we know it goes back to being involved in some of these rituals. You know, there were dead animals and and those types of things. So as I was coming up in school, I did not get good grades. I was sick all the time. I was a very sickly child, Um, never felt like going to school. I never wanted to speak in school because I had such low self-esteem. I just wanted to stay home. All I wanted to do was stay home. I slept a lot. I went through a stage where I was diagnosed with anorexia because I just would not eat. That was the one thing I could control. I started cutting at a young age. I started getting interested in men at a young age. When I was um, 14 years old, I was what I would call then dating men in their late 20s. Looking back now, that absolutely was not a relationship. It was not appropriate. Um, but, you know, I always looked at myself as an as a older person because I never was a child. I, I never experience the things that children experience because I was always on edge. I was always scared. I was always looking over my shoulder. So I was never carefree, never happy, never, you know, just joking and those things. So I fit in with older people. My friends were older. The guys I went after were older. I did get into a little bit of drinking. Praise the Lord. I did not get into that heavily because I had the type of personality. If I tried it once, I was so easily be addicted, um, but I just didn't have access to the alcohol, which was a good thing because if I did, it could have got really bad really quick. So I also had other really weird things happen. So like as a teenager, I can remember I would go to sleep with maybe a ring on my finger or a necklace on and I would wake up and it would be gone. I would look all over the place for it and I'd be thinking where in the world could it have went, I would strip my bed, look under my bed look around my bed and then the next day I could come home and it would just be laying on my pillow like someone was just messing with me. I would hear scratching on my walls like nails going up and down my walls. I would hear and see things out of the peripheral vision of things walking around my bedroom. There were times I would be laying in bed and I would hear somebody walk up to me right beside my bed and I would turn thinking it was my mom and nobody would be standing there. So you can imagine the fear, the fear I had. I slept in my mom's room so many times on her floor. I would creep down there at night just because I never slept at nighttime. Once it got dark, I wasn't sleeping. So in the midst of all of that, My biological dad shot himself when I was 12, but he did not die. But because of that, that triggered all of these um, emotions and more fear because I knew if he could hurt himself, he could definitely hurt me because he was his favorite person in his life. And so I disclosed the abuse. Um, Not a lot changed in my life. It's still I, I went into therapy. The therapy didn't really do anything i mean i'm alive so i think the therapist helped me not commit suicide but i was still just barely scraping by when i was 16 i met a guy that was close to my age and we immediately formed a very toxic codependent relationship that was um not healthy in any way shape or form i felt like i couldn't breathe if he wasn't near me which you've ever experienced that i can tell you it's toxic that's not love love does not smother and love does not choke the life out of each other and that's what this was i of course at the time said oh you know we're, we're just in so much love i was in love with the idea of being in love and of being needed and wanted and um i wanted to be married and i wanted to settle down so when i was 16 we got married which in my family that was not that unusual. We're from a small town in Indiana and all the women in my family were married by 18, if not way sooner. It just was never on our radar that we could go to college or that we would have a career. It was always you get married and you start a family, like that's what you do. And I don't think any of us made it to even 18 before getting married. So for us, it wasn't unusual. I, I was pretty much the youngest besides my grandma, but it still wasn't that unusual. And we had our son when I was almost 18 and my marriage was full of trauma and violence. Domestic violence started within six months of the marriage, maybe six weeks of the marriage. He hit me for the first time, but I had already been programmed to not tell about abuse. I'd already been taught that those who love you the most hurt you the most. And that that's an inward issue. Like it's my fault. Whenever he told me it was my fault, I believed it. You know, my dad told me it was my fault. Why, why wouldn't I believe that? Something was innately wrong with me. And if I adjusted my behavior, then he wouldn't have to do those things to me. And when he told me that, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. I covered it up. I never once can remember thinking, I need to tell someone about this abuse. Like it was not, you know, people say, why did you stay? Well, why wouldn't I? I was taught from the time I was young you cover it up, you hide it, you protect it, you keep everybody else around you safe. My safety didn't matter. Everybody else's did. And so I think it's really easy sometimes from the outside looking in to look at someone who's going through a horrific situation. And it's easy to say, well, just get out. But when you're the one going through it, I I can tell you from experience, you have a million reasons why you don't get out, just like I did. And so my, my mom and her new husband, they, they got married when I was around 12, they had started going to church and they invited him and I to go to church together with them. And so we went, he and I gave our heart to the Lord. And for me, it stuck for him. Not so much. He was in and out of the church the whole time we was married. But part of that drove me closer to God because the more violent it got and the harder it got, God was my only salvation. He was my only Um, peace, if you could say I had any peace, because I I had a very difficult time finding peace. And it really did drive me closer to God and it drove me closer to the church. So I got a really strong foundation in biblical teaching. Um, But a lot of the issues that I was having in my own personal struggle did not change. I was on my way to heaven and I could hear the voice of God. I was in a relationship with God and I'm not negating how powerful that was. And what an amazing thing it was in my life, because it absolutely was. God was faithful every step of the way. But the things that weren't changing was I still had severe depression. I had severe PTSD. By this time, I had PTSD from my biological dad. I had it from some situations that I went through of making poor choices. And then I had it from the domestic violence in my my marriage. So I had trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. And... The low self esteem continued. I was super paranoid about people in general. I thought if they wanted to be close to me that they only wanted something from me because nobody could like me for myself. I had nothing good to offer. I was dirty. I was shameful. I had a very hard time speaking in front of people. Um, I just wanted to hide. I didn't want anybody to know me because I felt like if they knew me, they would hate me. And the depression was so It was so strong um, that there were times it was physically painful. And I heard voices all the time saying your family would be better off if you were dead. You could take a break from life and just be gone. Just go be with the Lord. Just kill yourself and go be with the Lord. But I knew the word said thou shalt not kill. And so I knew that that never fit that narrative. And also from the time that my son was born, God used him as my anchor in life. Because as soon as the voices would be so loud. And I would start thinking, yeah, you know, maybe it would be better to be gone. He would remind me that I couldn't do that to my child. Like, I just, I couldn't do that to him. So the marriage continued for about six years. And then I finally, um, I woke up one morning and I knew because of some things that had happened that one of us was going to die. And it was going to get to the point where one of us was not going to make it out alive. And I'd had all I could take couldn't do it anymore. And so I left and I took my son and I filed for a divorce. And, you know, for a little while I was in a honeymoon phase where I'd broken free from abuse and I, I was somewhat safe. Uh, it was a really tr- traumatic situation because there was some stalking and some threatening and those types of things, but I was able to get out of it and there was a time there where I just felt elated, like I'm free and I can finally be me. But the problem was I didn't know who me was. I lacked identity because I was shrouded in the identity of a victim. That's all I knew. I'd been a victim from the time I could remember. And so there was a lot of self-pity, low self-worth, victimhood mentality. Like that was who I thought I was. I bought into the idea that I had was so broken that the trauma had helped develop who I was, and it was just part of me. So I accepted it. I bought into that lie, hook, line, and sinker, and I accepted it, and I lived it. I lived like a victim. I um, immersed myself in it. I joined Facebook groups about it. I talked about it. I was just wrapped in victimhood mentality. Well, I met my current husband not long after I went through a divorce, still very, very broken, and we got married. And it wasn't long after we got married, I, I felt like the Lord wanted me to go to school because he had told me from the time I was 18 when I got saved that he was going to use me to help heal people emotionally and physically. Well, I was so bad off all of those years. I'm like, Lord, I have no idea how you're going to do that. I can't even help myself. And I got to the point where I knew God could heal me, but I didn't know if he would. And it turned into a self-hatred that, you know, I see everybody, not everybody, but you know how your mind does that. I see everybody else getting miracles and here I am getting worse and worse and worse. And so I turned it inward and I really hated myself even more. And I didn't trust God and I didn't think that he was gonna ever move in my life. I knew he could, but I got to the point where I didn't know if he would. So I went to school and I started, um, I graduated and I started at a, a local mental health facility. And I was doing counseling every day, all day, you know, Monday through Friday, and I would come home and have to cut in the evening just to make it through um, my family time because it was so emotionally draining to listen to kids that had went through the same things I went through, and I was not healed, and I was not in a place where I could help them, and I thought I was. You know, I got into the field because I wanted to help but it was just making things worse for me, and I wasn't being effective for them. And so I started going to therapy myself, and I had went off and on throughout the years, and I, I started back in therapy, and she diagnosed me, of course, with the clinical depression um, and PTSD, and then she also diagnosed me with disassociative identity disorder which the idea behind that is when you are, especially a small child, and you go through trauma, your personality can split and you can form what's called alters. And each of those alters can have their own personality. They can have their own emotions. They can have their own likes and dislikes. It's like a completely separate person living in the same body. So you can have one body, one person, me, Nicole, But then I could have 10, 20, 30, 40 other people living inside me that want to fight for control, that want to tell us all what to do, and um, that have different emotions. When she started, when she diagnosed me with that, I 100% believed her because I knew by that time in my life, I could distinguish the different voices I was hearing. And I was hearing voices 24-7. If I was awake, I was hearing voices. It, It never stopped. Whenever I was studying for college, I would have to turn the TV on to occupy some of the voices so that I could study. I could not study in silence because I would hear like 10 voices talking at the same time. But if I turn the TV on, that would occupy them somewhat. So it would slow down the chatter enough to where I could study. And so when she diagnosed that, like immediately I'm like, that's truth. I accepted it as true and I accepted them as alters. I accepted the treatment was to integrate that I should let them speak through me. I should let them write through me, express themselves. If that was writing, coloring, drawing, um, writing poetry, whatever it was, they should be able to express themselves. And they would always want to take the driver's seat because the idea is that, you know, I would be in the driver's seat and they would be in the car which is my body my life but i was in control and they would always want to take the driver's seat they would tell me that all the time if you just step back and let us take control you can rest and you can heal and it will be so much better but praise god i never ever agreed to that there was something in me that just and i know it was the holy spirit it wasn't just a something it was the holy spirit but at the time i didn't know that that i would just never agree to letting them have control I did, however, let them write through me. I let them um, talk through me. I entertained their voices. I talked to them. I um, experienced their emotions. There was one that absolutely hated my family. It hated my son. And it would always tell me that I was a victim to my son and that he just wanted to hurt me and that he was emotionally draining and that he was evil it would say the same thing about my husband it would say the same thing about my parents and it would say the same thing about God and it was a constant bombardment on my mind that everybody's out to get me nobody loves me I should distance myself from them I didn't need them I shouldn't want them there was another one that was like it would present like a small child and When it was around, I would feel isolated and abandoned and rejected and alone. My husband would come home from work and find me rocking in the floor, crying for my mom. Or he would find me hiding under the bed because I couldn't sleep in the bed or hiding in the closet. There was times that I would sleep with a knife at night because I was so afraid. And he would sleep with one eye open because he just never really knew what I was going to do. Even back then, he knew there were times that he was talking to me and it wasn't really me. He, my eyes would change colors, which we never could figure that one out. We always just made it a joke. Like when, when my mood changed, my eyes would change color. So if there was a certain color, you know I'm fiery and you better get out of the way. I had rage that would just come out of nowhere. If there was even the hint that I was being offended or that somebody was doing something against me, I could go into a blackout rage in a matter of seconds to where I just went straight for the gutter and said things that were just evil and mean and hateful and nasty and ugly. I was very controlling and dominating and manipulative. It was all about getting my needs met. And I justified that because of everything I'd been through. Well, you know, Lord, I know you get it because I've been so hurt. So now I need to be pampered, which not gonna find a scripture for that, but I wasn't worried about that part. I felt justified because I had so much pity. I was I was like wrapped in self-pity and I deserved some love and I deserved to have my way for once in my life or whatever. I justified it so many different ways. And then I continued to have the weird stuff happen. You know, after me and my husband got married, he had never experienced anything like this, but, but one day he'd went to the bathroom and he was in there and our shower curtain opened slowly from one end to the other. And there was another time that he had let our dogs out and he'd, went into, he'd closed the door, open the door, let them out, closed the door and went to the kitchen before he went to work. And he comes back in to let them back in and they're on the inside. Someone, something had opened the door, shut the door and then our dogs were sitting there terrified. And he would see things and we would hear things. We would see shadows running through the house. Um, it just, it, it became like a family I don't want to use the word joke because it wasn't funny, but we just didn't know what to do with it. But that I was a magnet for demons. Wherever I went, they were there. No matter what house we went to, no matter where we stayed, no matter where we were at, they were just there. And the only thing we could figure is because I had been introduced to, to the occult at such a young age that I was just familiar to them, but we didn't know what to do about it. It never got to a point in my life where I was comfortable with it. I was never okay with it but I kind of accepted it because I didn't know I didn't know where else to fit it in my mind. There were times at night that I would go to bed to sleep and my bed would shake like literally shake all night long and I couldn't make it stop. I didn't know how to make it stop. There were times that I would wake up and there would be something right in my face or there would be something standing beside my bed or I remember one time I woke up and there was a person standing in my doorway and i saw them like i'm i'm like i'm seeing you on this video they were just standing there staring at me and i would see people like that sometimes just standing there looking at me or walking through my house a lot of times it was shadows sometimes i would hear them sometimes i would hear them with my physical ear i always heard them with my like in my mind the voices never stopped about me killing myself they got a lot stronger and a lot harder So in the meantime, my husband and I, my whole family, my mom, my dad, my brother, my son, me and my husband, we moved to Arizona. When we moved there, the Lord told my dad that I was going to find my healing in the desert. And we didn't really know exactly what that meant, but we're like, okay, my health was declining. By 2020, I was to the point where I basically was going from my bed to my couch and my couch to my bed. I had all of these um, mental health diagnoses. I had all these physical health diagnoses. i had been to the Mayo Clinic. I had one thing going on where um, I just couldn't hardly breathe. I would have triggers and they could be smells um, of anything. Like if any smell came in my house, like if my husband opened the door and I could smell gas from the cars going by, it would trigger it to where I just could not breathe. It felt like something was choking me. I did testing. The Mayo said that it looked like asthma, but it wasn't really asthma. They wasn't sure what to do with it. And so I had all of this medication. I was going through all of these treatments. I had one doctor tell me that there, it was like, there was something in my body that was resisting treatment. I was over 274 pounds, but I was malnourished because there was something blocking nourishment. No matter what I ate, I was not getting any nutrients. And, um, it's like my body wasn't accepting any type of treatments and we didn't know what it was. She basically dismissed me because she's like, it's not ethical for me to keep giving you medication or supplements because your body is not accepting it. So until we figure out why it won't accept it, there's nothing else left I can do for you. And so I had all of these specialists. I'd probably see no less than 40 specialists, all of these diagnoses with really no hope of getting better. There was a lot of chronic illnesses that, you know, they would say, We can give you pain medication, but there's really nothing else we can do and all of those things. And around that time, I don't know, a year before that, so a year prior to 2020, so sometime probably in 2019, my son had told me about um, a minister and he just casually said, I think that there's something in this message that you should hear. So Okay. So I listened to it and it was the very first time that I had ever heard ever in my whole life of being a Christian since I was 18. Heard that a Christian could have a demon and have the need for deliverance. And when I say deliverance, I specifically mean closing doors to demons, verbally casting them out in the name of Jesus and walking in maintaining that freedom, just like Jesus did. We're talking the ministry of Jesus, one third of his ministry, because we know in his ministry, he preached the good news, which is salvation. He healed the sick and he cast out demons. So one third of his ministry, never in my life. Amen. had I. Read. I'd read about it. Of course, I read about it. It's in the Bible, but it never connected. Yeah, it's like it just never connected to that. That meant me. I don't know who I thought it was. So as soon as I heard it, it's like the Lord just removed the veil and I knew it was me. But the interesting thing is I lost a year and I can't even tell you what I did in that year. It just is. It's like it's just fuzzy. So I find the truth and then I lose a year. I did do some inner healing in that year where um, I visited a lady that I know that was a friend of mine and she does prayer ministry. And we prayed through like trusting God and removing some barriers between me and him. And that was phenomenal, but I got sicker and sicker and sicker. So I even stopped doing that. And I basically, I loved God, but I can't say I was seeking him with my whole heart or anything at all like that, because I feel like There were times I went to bed at night and I didn't know if I would wake up the next morning. Like, I really feel like I was on the verge of death is how my body felt. I felt like I just could not take anymore. So it had been almost a year or around a year. And then the Lord laid on my heart to set aside a week for prayer and fasting. And I said, okay, absolutely. At that point in my life, I knew that I was close to death. I knew it was either breakthrough, however that came, or it was death. Like I just knew in my spirit, it's one or the other, like we're, we're wrapping this thing up. And so I set aside a week and then he said, make it public. And I was like, Oh Lord, you know, because I didn't feel worthy. How, how am I going to ask other people to pray for me when I feel like I'm like not even worth someone giving two seconds to. But I did it because at this point I was willing to surrender anything I hadn't been there yet I hadn't been to the point where I was willing to surrender. At this point in my life if God said burn your house down I'm saying where's the match because I'm done like I am so done I'm so over it I'm willing to do anything and I'm not I'm not just seeking healing anymore because I would spent years just seeking healing. And chasing ministries and chasing healing ministries and chasing people who said they spoke in the prophetic, but I was at the point where I was willing to surrender anything to God, because I wanted more of God. My whole drive changed did I want well, of course, but the driving force was I wanted more of God, so I posted it on social media. And the outpouring, I can't even tell you, people that I didn't even know, people from all around the world, I don't even know how it got shared in some of the places it got shared. People were reaching out to me and giving me messages that were beautiful, and I knew it was God showing me his love through them. It was was such an amazing thing. And then he said, I want you to call your parents and have them come over and pray for you midweek. And at this point, they lived about two hours away from me. And I said, oh, Lord, I can't ask them to drive two hours. I said, would you please tell them to come? I don't want to tell them. I don't want to ask them. And it was about five minutes later, my mom, and I can't remember if she messaged or she called me and she said, you know, we really feel like that God wants us to drive over there and pray for you midweek. I said, okay, (laughs) you know, I do, I do. And I said, okay. And I had sent them some information about deliverance because, again, my dad had been a pastor and, you know, it wasn't like we hadn't been in church, but we just had not been around spiritual warfare. We hadn't been around deliverance. So I sent them a little bit of of information about, you know, you verbally call it out and you command it to leave in the name of Jesus. So going into this, I did not know going into our prayer time. I didn't know if I had altars and demons, if I had physical sickness, I didn't know if I had mental illness. I didn't know if I had depression. I didn't know if I had a chemical imbalance. We didn't know what was what, but I knew that I did have demonic torment. So I didn't know if I would come out on the other side, maybe 50% better. We had no idea. So leading up to that, before they came, the Lord started walking me through deep, deep repentance. And I'm talking like um, not beating me up, but cleansing me as in showing me how I had treated the people in my life, the ones that I love the most and showing me where I had went wrong and showing me how I had justified my behaviors and how I was in rebellion. And, you know, the Bible says rebellion is as of witchcraft and how I had opened so many doors to demons in my life not only were they open generationally because of some things in my bloodline, but I had personally opened doors. The abuse had opened doors. I mean, I had all of these, these huge, massive open doors and to my life, but as I was being cleansed from them, those doors were slamming shut one after the other, after the other, after the other. And so I walked through this for days and he was just taking me me and him going through this you know it wasn't like i had a workbook that i was working through it was god and i and him showing me this and praying through this and i realized how i had not been submissive to him let alone my husband it used to be a joke that submission was a dirty word to me like if you literally said the word submit i'm ready to fight like don't even say that word to me because you're not going to expect me Like my old attitude was, you're not going to expect me to submit to any man. And God understands that was so unbiblical and and just not right. We have no exceptions in the Bible. It does not say you get a pass. If you've been through this, the Bible is clear. We are called to submit to God and submit to our spouse period. And uh, I'm not talking abusive spouses. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about godly men and, and those types of things um don't anybody put words in my mouth or anything that listens and says oh she's for abusive spouse that's not what I'm talking about at all I'm talking about in a godly marriage submitting to your husband I wasn't even down for that like my husband was an amazing man but I no don't talk to me about submitting um don't even talk to me about getting his opinion because I could care less about his opinion I know what's best for me like that was my attitude and so he talked to me about submission and then he talked to me about something that um I think I would have rather him smack me across the face because he said, you did not honor your biological dad. And when he first said it, I was angry and it took me a minute because my first thing was how could I honor him? He he was horrific and he abused me because he was not the type of person that groomed me. He was not the type of person that I can look back and say there were good times, but then there was abuse. It was all scary. He had a very narcissistic personality, so life revolved around him. He was mean, and he told ugly jokes about me. He made fun of me. Um, Life revolved around him so that there really wasn't like, oh, I could pull from that, and that's a good memory. So when God said that, I was really taken aback, and I'm like, okay, God, I, I, I don't even know what you're saying here. But then I sat with God with an open heart, and I said, okay, Lord, now I'm ready for you to show me. It took me a minute. Now I'm ready for you to show me. And what he showed me was that I dishonored him by calling him names, by not looking at him through the lens of someone that God wanted to save. I had always looked at him like a piece of trash. And I honestly didn't care if he got saved or not. I did not care if he spent eternity in heaven or hell. I didn't necessarily want him to go to hell, but I didn't care. I didn't care about his eternal soul. And I was very dishonoring in the way that I spoke about him, the names that I called him, the way I laughed at him and I joked about him. And um, to be honoring toward him, I would have just had to have been silent in a lot of conversations and not said anything and really prayed for his soul. And it had nothing to do about my um, having a relationship with him because I asked God that he was passed away. He was already gone at the time. And I was like, God, does that mean I would have to have a relationship with him? But it wasn't anything about a relationship. It was about my heart issue. And it was my my heart toward him because he wasn't a safe person. He was never safe to bring myself or my child around. But it was my heart toward him. And I had not honored him in my heart for being a creation of God. And God wants everybody saved and I had neglected that part. So from that birth, the prayer of God, let me see everybody through your eyes. I don't wanna see them through my eyes. I wanna see them through your eyes. That was one major thing he walked me through. The next was, I always had this in my life from the time I was abused of why did God let that happen? You know, as a Christian, when you're around the church, you probably hear that. I, I hear it all the time. Well, if God is so good, or even in the world, if God is so good, why does he let bad things happen? And, you know, I know all the answers of, well, we live in a fallen world and people have their, their own free will, but I never could settle it in my heart. And I would always think, God, if you would just tell me the why, I could find peace in that. If you would just let me know why. And it was this ongoing thing, but I didn't realize it at the time, but I had a death grip on that. And I felt like God owed me the answer. And I felt like I could never move forward in healing unless and until he gave me that answer. And when I was praying during this process, it's like the Lord showed me a crossroads and I was standing at the crossroads and it was a dirt path, both sides. And one I could continue on would be living life the way that I'd always lived it with my question, holding it, wanting it, basically demanding it from God, or I could release that. And by release it, it means really let it go, really lay it down, surrender it and choose to walk by faith, choose to stand on God's character as he tells us in the Bible who he is. We have a whole book to tell us who our father is. We don't need to look at him through the lens of our situation. We need to look at him through the lens of the truth and look at our situations through the lens of the truth. And, you know, I, I wrestled with that for a minute and I really had to think, can I live with not knowing the answers? Can, can I release that? Can I surrender that? And I knew I only had that choice, like that was it. And so I surrendered that. I surrendered the need to understand and I told God, I will never again have the need to understand why bad things happen because I'm laying that down. I'm surrendering that. I'm releasing that. And I knew it was a massive, um, like him wanting me to surrender it because for me surrender was a huge issue in my life control was a huge issue so asking me to let go of the thing i wanted most was an act of like i i really do think about like abraham and isaac now no i wasn't asked to sacrifice my child and that's way heavier but for me if you understood how much control was a thing for me It it was close, it really was, because to think that I would never again ask him a question that had been burning on my mind for years and years and years and years. And I had hinged the idea on, I'm not gonna get free until I know that. So I released that. My parents came midweek. As soon as they walked in, I, I um, I knew something was about to happen because as soon as they walked in, I wanted to physically attack my dad. And I love my dad. He has been an amazing man in my life. He's an amazing man of God. He's an amazing father. He stepped in when I was around 12 years old, and he was my dad from day one. He's always there for me. He goes above and beyond. I think he's one of the smartest men I know. I have never felt anything but love and reverence and respect for my dad. And when he walked in, I wanted to spit in his face. I wanted to claw his eyes out, and I wanted to physically attack him. We got started pretty soon, as soon as he got there, because I was pretty physically uncomfortable. And he um, anointed my head with oil. And I, like, sat on my hands so I wouldn't try to claw his eyes. And he sat down. We were all sitting in the living room. Of course, you know, we'd never seen any of this stuff. We, we just sat down and we're like, okay, we're going to pray. And so he started praying. And he started asking for the name of what was in me. And one by one, he cast between 45 and 60 demons out. Um, My mom was taking note and we threw it. We we felt like we shouldn't keep it. So we ripped it up. That's why we don't know exactly how many there was. We we ripped it up and got it out of the house because we felt like we don't need those names in my house. Um, There was one that was very mocking. As soon as my dad started praying, I started like cackling with a laugh that obviously was not mine. And it started saying things like who does he think he is look at him he thinks he's somebody and that one left pretty quick uh some of them left quicker than others there was one that he was trying to get out and it just would not go and the lord gave me a word of knowledge that it was one that i had accepted as my identity it was one that i had accepted as an altar and that i had um in fellowship with it fully accepted it so i had to break identity with it i basically had to tell it i'm not yours and you're not mine you're not part of me and you have to go as soon as i prayed that then he was able to get that one out there was one of self-pity it said i make her feel sorry for herself and i make her sad and i make her feel worthless and i make her feel like everybody um, owes her something there was another one that said oh, I forgot to talk about this part. So about a week or I, I don't know, a few days before the deliverance, God told me to stop consuming sugar because I was a sugar addict. I was up over 274 pounds at that po- point in my life. And I consumed massive amounts of sugar. It was nothing to drink two or three 44 ounces of pop a day, um, eat a half a gallon of ice cream, eat candy bars. Like the, the gas station was my crack house. and And I'm not saying that flippantly at all. And I'm not saying that in disrespect to people who struggle with addiction i i'm saying that with all honesty i had addictive behaviors where i would hide how much i was consuming if there was sugar in the house like by candies pops ice creams, i couldn't sleep at night because it would be on my mind like i would have to just get back up there's times i would go in the middle of the night to go to the gas station because i couldn't sleep without getting a fix And God says, stop consuming sugar. And it was so bad. I wrote it down on a piece of paper. and I said, God said, stop consuming sugar. And I put the date and I put it beside my bed because I knew I was going to have to look at that 24 seven or I was going to give in. Well, then fast forward a few days a week. I, I can't remember exactly the time frame I was going through then deliverance. And there was one that said, I make her fat. I make her eat and eat and eat. And she's never full. And it just laughed and laughed and laughed and I knew immediately that I had to be fasting sugar so that it would break that hold it had on me and then my dad was able to cast it out and that's why God had prepared me for that. The hardest one to get out was I recognized it because when it came around I felt rage remember when I talked earlier about how easily I would get enraged. And I felt the emotions of each one as they was coming out. So I recognized them by name, a lot of them, because a lot of them, I knew their name because we had interacted and I thought they were my, my alters. And so this one I recognized when it came forward because I recognized the emotion because when they were in me, I felt their emotion. And so when it came forward, <clears throat> it refused to let go. And it said that my biological dad, it didn't say biological dad, it said her dad, or it said, she's mine. And my stepdad said, you know, what do you, what do you mean? What she said, it said she was dedicated to me through the sacrifice of innocent blood and she's mine. And so we pray for the blood of Jesus to flow over that, break it, make it null void and powerless and that my biological dad would not have that authority anymore. We prayed through all of that. And then it finally, it finally went, That, that was a really strong one to go it it was i if i had to guess now knowing what i know now looking back it was probably the strong man and it went and there were several more and then um At one point I did spit on my dad from across the room, which was supernaturally like impossible. Like it was in the natural impossible. It was like a supernatural thing because he was so far from me. I shouldn't have been able to, but I guess I spit in his face. Some things I remember and some things I don't, some things they just told me because it was almost like I was watching from the backseat, just kind of watching these things go on like a movie. Uh, Some of them I felt very present for and others I didn't. After it was over, we kind of just sat there and looked at each other like, because uh, well, remember, again, we didn't know about none of this stuff like this. And we're like, did this just happen? And my dad started telling me about some of the things he was seeing in the spirit as it, as it was happening. At one point, he saw a demon that had a pouch. And in the pouch, he knew it was the seeds of my life, like finances, uh, ministry, health, mental health, like the seeds that. I was supposed to be growing. And so he had commanded it to release them and he saw it, hand it back to me and release it and leave. In which my dad is not one to have visions. So that was really awesome. Like it changed his life forever. It changed his prayer life. It changed how he sees um, pretty much everything, you know, turned upside down because we just, we, we just didn't know that that the spiritual realm was like this. And so from that moment, I opened my eyes bigger. I had got to where my eyes were really dark and they were slanted, my eyes were open. I could walk without shuffling my feet because I got to the point where it felt like I had cinder blocks on my feet and my arms and I could barely move. People could touch me and it was an extreme pain. I had been prior to that where nobody could even hug me because I would be in pain for like a week with my body touched. I no longer had the um, breathing issues. They were completely gone. I no longer had depression. I've not had one symptom. At all since twenty twenty or May twenty fourth, twenty twenty, the DID was gone. I had no alters. Period. They were all one hundred percent demons. No PTSD. I went from having probably hundreds of triggers to having zero. Um, it was just all gone. And that day, my husband wasn't there. Whenever we did all this, he had to work back then. He worked a lot. And so when he came home, it was really important for me to apologize to him for. Just the way I treated him, because I had allowed the enemy to use me as a weapon against him our entire marriage, and I'd caused a lot of emotional pain and damage. So it was really important for me to go before the Lord with my husband and in front of God in prayer, ask Ronnie, my husband, to forgive me and to humble myself and to have him forgive me in the presence of God. I don't know why that felt so strong, Like to make sure we did that like in prayer that way, but it really did, and so we did that. And God began a restoration from that day Um, that is still continuing and and we're still growing. Our marriage is better than it's ever been. God also told me to share my testimony. And I said, oh, but God, they're gonna think I'm nuts. People are gonna think I'm crazy. But I had told him, I'm sold out, God. I'm sold out. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. So I shared my testimony. And as soon as I did, people from all over started reaching out to me. And they're like, I need what you have. I need what you went through. And so I really felt like that the Lord was saying, I gave you the blueprint to get free. Now go help others get free. So for the first year, I was doing tons and tons and tons of deliverance ministry. I was doing most of it on Zoom because it was people from all over the world, like literally all over the world. In that time, he told me to um, write a book. So I wrote a book about deliverance and spiritual warfare. Then, let's see, that would take me up to about what? 2020, 2021. So I don't know. Time is so funny. I didn't write my timeline down. But about a year ago, I knew that things were shifting and I, I had written a few books. I wrote um, one for deliverance and spiritual warfare training. I w- wrote one that was just my testimony. And then I recently wrote one that is a self-deliverance workbook that actually walks the reader through the steps of deliverance. Because I feel like a lot of times what's missing in deliverance ministries is the preparation. Like teaching people, what opened the doors to demons in your life? How did you open those doors? And how do you close them? And how do you keep them closed? Because if people don't understand how to keep the doors closed, they're not gonna keep them closed. They don't just stay, it's not a one and done and all oh, those doors just stay closed forever. If you walk out of a deliverance session and you open those doors back up, those demons are watching for those doors to be opened back up. So I think that's really important. And I also think it's important to teach people how to maintain freedom. So that's a big area that I was focused on in teaching. We created a, a, a group on Facebook and I was doing a ton of teaching. So about a year ago, I knew that things were shifting. To where I wasn't going to be doing as much one on one deliverance ministry as I, because I was moving into like just a season of God giving me all of these messages to teach and books to write and e courses to write and just all of these assignments. And so I knew that I was walking out of a, a season of doing the one on one to a season of more teaching. So that's kind of where I'm at now, starting in 2024. Um, I have another book that is close to being ready to produce. I am in the process of writing some e-courses that will be available and teaching in the ministry group. So, yeah, it's kind of where I'm at today. So that's my story. I know it took a while, but I don't know how to leave any of it out and get to where we're at. And so now I'm more in a season of teaching and, um, you know, I still meet with people. I don't do deliverance like I used to because with deliverance ministry, it's very important to me that when i do it that i make myself very available to the people that i'm walking through it it's not like i can go take them through deliverance and then say i don't have time to meet with you you know for follow-up or for more and those types of things so when you're doing deliverance ministry it's very very time consuming and i knew early on i kept trying to build a team and the lord wouldn't let me and i'm like why lord can i not like it would be amazing if i could build this huge team well looking back it's because i was in training to get what I needed to learn hands-on one-on-one and then he was moving me into a time of teaching not just about deliverance I teach on all kinds of subjects now um but but so looking back I know why now that I wasn't ever able to build the team but at the time it didn't make sense so now you know I'm more into a season like I said of teaching and training and doing conferences and those types of things but I'm just ready to say yes to whatever God brings, whatever He says each day. I'm just ready to say yes, whatever that looks like.
0: Well, that's an amazing testimony, and I think this is the longest I've ever been quiet. I'm not usually known for being quiet, but and 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 if my wife ever, you know, sees this or hears this, I can tell you she's going to put me on a sugar fast because when you said something about how you craved sugar, it's like God was tapping me on the shoulder going, that, that's you too. Wow, that's, yeah. that's one of your things. But what would you say to – because one of the first questions that I usually get asked at church, especially when you bring up anything about deliverance, especially when you bring up anything about Christians having demons and stuff like that, because it's really a taboo subject. What would you say to Christians and especially unbelievers who say that God didn't really heal you and those demons weren't real because you were a Christian. There's no possible way that Christians can have demons. What would you say to
1: them? Um, It would be two part. One would be ask anybody that's close to me in my life. And, and there's no doubt that I'm different. I am not the same person. The person I was is dead and gone And nobody can tell me like you can think what you want, but I know I went from torment 24 seven to I have no voices in my head. My mind was never quiet. I had to literally turn on television to like drown out a little bit of the voices. I went from that to no voices. So I don't even entertain that. I'm just like, yeah, no. but what I would say is first understand the difference between possession and demonization or oppression. You can call it demonization, oppression, whichever you want. A Christian cannot be possessed. We can't because possession means ownership. I was never owned by the demons. I am owned by my father. I am, I am my father's child. My my. I'm there, his. When I said theirs, I meant the, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God Jesus. That's why I said plural. Um, I'm not owned by a demon. They took so much control in my life because I gave it to them. Not everybody gives over as much control as I did. I thought I was trying to integrate with altars. So I gave them control. If you give a demon an inch, they're going to take a mile. So first off, let's, let's understand you're not possessed. I also hear people say, well, how can the Holy Spirit live in the same body as a demon? Well, how can sickness? How can sin, if nothing evil can live in the same part as the Holy Spirit, why can we still have patterns of sin in our life? Like, to me, that's a nonsense question, because then we would never have sickness in our body. We would never have anything that's not of God in our body. The other part is demons take up residence in our mind, our will and our emotions. As a Christian, they're in our flesh, our mind, our will, our emotions. They're not in the same place where the Holy Spirit is. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, We're three parts. We have a spirit, a soul, and our body. Our spirit is where the Holy Spirit dwells. Our body and our flesh, that's where the demons take up residence. So that's my quick answer, Yeah, if I have a quick answer.
0: And that's a great answer, because, you know, when I'm listening to your testimony, I was, for those that don't know, I was the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. I ran away from my faith after being raised in the church, non-denominational, okay? But um, when you start talking about, certain things i'm getting flashbacks so like when i started reconnecting with god that's when i probably was under the most spiritual warfare that i've ever seen where i started seeing things and one of the things i remember is never being able to get a really good night's sleep yeah where those moments where you're starting to wake up you start seeing things, and the thing that I would see is this dark figure at the foot of my bed. And it, 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 I, I, thought, you know, someone's just standing there. But my instinct, at least bodily, was to throw a kick towards whatever that was. Yeah, and there was many times, day after day after day, it was like really starting to become a routine of me just trying to kick something. Yeah. And I can tell you having horrible dreams that in the course of waking up I'm still seeing the dream. I'm seeing whatever I'm fighting and I would throw a punch in that direction and just destroy my lamp or yeah. destroy, or hit the wall or something. And if I told people this, people would be like you are insane. You need medication. No, what I needed was deliverance. I needed. I was under spiritual attack because I'm trying to reconnect with God and the demons don't want you to do that. And another thing I, I can remember, when I was working at the Greenville County Detention Center, which in that detention center, you're dealing with inmates who haven't, been convicted of the crimes they're accused of. So there are times you come across people who they may or may not have done the crime. Mm-hmm. And so I'm walking into this one housing unit and I'm doing the housing unit and I'm I'm in the the that particular unit was the detox unit. And I'm talking to this one inmate who's towards the end of his detox and now I got to house him somewhere else in the jail. And I say to him, "How many times you been here?" And he's like, "I've been here multiple times for this drug possession, this type of stuff." And he goes, "I'm really getting sick and tired of doing it. What advice do you have for me to be able to stop this?" And the first thing I said to him was, "What's your relationship with God through His Son Jesus Christ?" Yep. And he's like, "Well, I know God, but I'd say that it's non-existent." And I said, "Okay." You need to work on that. But mind you, if you do get a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and you finally do get out of this jail and you don't spend any more time, did you have a cell phone on you? And he said, yeah, I did. I had a cell phone. I said, well, I guarantee you this is what's going to happen. You're going to get that cell phone in intake. You're going to be escorted out the front door of the jail. You're going to turn that phone on, and I guarantee you, you're going to get a phone call from somebody who was either your dealer or somebody of your past who knows now you're out because the demons are, going, are not going to want you to go away from this. They're going to send every message your way to try to keep you uh, in chains I said I guarantee you that's what's going to happen So the best thing to do If you decide to Open Or unlock this, this This this, cell phone You better delete multiple contacts That have anything to do with The reason you're here And he at that time said, yeah, I'll, I'll take it under advisement I said okay no problem He gets escorted Out of the jail Probably about a month later, and within three months, he's back. Yep. working, and on on a housing unit that I'm working on, and he's in there for the exact same thing. And I say to him, "What happened?" And he went, "Gardner, let me tell you, you were right. You weren't kidding. The moment I I uh, I I." Signed back into my phone. That's what happened, and you know what happened? This person came and picked me up. I went back into that house. I went back into whatever. Got back into drugs, and I started hearing the same voices. Yeah. And so then I'm just looking at them, and I say, "What are you going to do this time?" Because you got that cell phone. He goes, "Yeah." What are you going to do this time? That's different, because. You can come in here and get all the religion you want, but if you truly have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and you truly have changed, so you have a heart change, the demons are not going to want to let you go. You yep. better co- have a strategy to deal with that. You better tell them in Jesus' name to get the heck out of your life this time because they're not, they're, the same thing's going to happen. And before I got, not like, but before I decided to switch careers, he did that. And honestly, I, from what I can see, he's his life has changed Yeah, because yeah. I would constantly tell people, that the only way you're going to change is to get a relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ. That is the only true reform that I've ever seen working in the prison system, whether it's in New York or working in the jail system down here in South Carolina. It's the only thing I can I, I, I can say works. And I don't understand. It's the same thing for Christians. I think the biggest deception other than the devil saying that i don't exist is telling christians you couldn't have a demon because honestly this the demons and satan doesn't want you to close those doors because they're enjoying walking into your life and making your life a living hell coming in there and doing things messing with your life messing up your marriage messing up your friendships or messing up with your prayer life and just having fun creating chaos. And when you talk to some of these Christians, it's like they literally are looking at you like you got three heads. What yeah. you're speaking is completely gibberish. And when you show it to them in the Bible, cause I think that's another problem. There's a lot of Christians who really don't read the Bible. You really do not dive into God's word and you don't understand what does the word of God say. Because one of the biggest things Jesus Christ ever did is he cast demons out of people. And that power is still true today and I think you can testify to that because Absolutely. you went through that. Yeah. You you went through and came through the other side and now you're trying to tell other Christians this is what Freedom
1: really means to be free in Christ. This is what it means. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, just my short time of doing deliverance ministry, I did over with, I didn't keep numbers. I knew from the get go, it was not important to keep numbers, but I know I did around between 150 and 200 deliverance sessions. And every single one was with a Christian. If they weren't a Christian, I wouldn't do deliverance because how, okay. So just in my line of thinking, they're not a christian and the only way to stay free is to keep doors closed how are they ever going to keep doors closed because the number one way is walking in surrender to god right if they're not a believer they're not going to be surrendered to god so Mm -hmm. every like i did deliverance with pastors teachers leaders people that have been saved for 30 40 50 years It doesn't matter how long you've been in this thing. You can be in bondage. And the saddest, well, one of the saddest things to me is pastors who have entire congregations believing that this is not of God. They laugh at it. They mock it. They scorn it. They ridicule it. We get called false teachers. They come out with their fangs out. And it's so clearly pushed by demons to say that this isn't real. And yet they think that they're right they think that they are protecting their flock but the attitudes that come out of it are just horrendous and it's sad and people stay a lot in bondage when i engage about it on facebook or on any social media platform it's because people like me stay in bondage for years after we needed to because nobody was there to speak the truth or there was somebody there to say the exact opposite and say no that's not true i talk to people all the time who tell me their story and they're so in bondage and yet they go to their pastor and their pastor says well it can't possibly be that you need deliverance because that's not real so then they go to the doctor and they get on medication instead but they're just as bound and they're not better now they have side effects now they're Mm -hmm. mentally numb and they're just as, as tormented as they was before. But now you got medication on top of it. And it's right. not working.
0: Yeah. I mean, I came from a church up in uh, Pennsylvania where I was a deacon. And that church was non-denominational. Mm-hmm. But if you had a conversation with any of the congregation there, about demons, about things. I mean, I had conversations with the pastors, senior pastors, lead pastors, whatever their title is, they would say similar things of like those things were from Bible times. They don't apply to today that the gifts that Jesus had, that, 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 that doesn't happen today. People can't have demons. And I remember when I got interviewed to be a deacon, they're ta- I'm just talking a little bit about the spiritual warfare that I've seen. And they're like, there's no possibility that could happen. And I said, well, I did see this. When I was a direct care professional at Willow Glen Academy in Sparta, New Jersey, where they took care of kids with behavioral issues or mental issues. So oh. there was a kid there who was classified as schizophrenic. and." Anytime I worked that particular unit, this kid who was extremely violent had to be in a room by himself. He had hardly zero interactions, right? And I might have interacted with him a few times, but he one time had an episode. And in this episode, he's running by people, workers that he had years, a year relationship with, or five, 10 year relationship with, running past them saying, where's that one guy that looks like this? And what he's doing is describing to them me and -hmm. saying, I need to talk to that guy. And they're like, well, he's out with the other kids and he lost his mind trying to find me, right? So as soon as I come back in with all the kids, they're yelling at me, you need to come down here, get down here right away. I run down to where this hallway is and I can tell which room they're all huddling around because they they're they afraid to go into the door with or go inside that room with this kid. And they're like, I should say, what's going on? He goes, well, you know, so-and-so he's in there. He barricaded himself in there and, and he's asking for you. So do you want to go in there? And now, mind you, I'm a former military police officer, United States Marine Corps. I have entered a room as part of a SWAT team. So I have that experience. I'm not afraid to walk in there. But as I'm going to walk in there and open the door, this Jewish kid says, I don't think you want to go in there. I said, why not? And he's like, do you hear what's going on? And I finally take two seconds to listen to what's going on. And it sounds like three other people are in there with this kid because he's, you could hear him screaming, but you can hear two other voices. And this Jewish kid goes, I I wouldn't go in there if I was you. And this kid was extremely Jewish. It it was actually comical how much of a believer he was in his religion. Mm -hmm. And he knew I was a born again Christian. So I look at him and I go, aren't we supposed to be serving the same God? And he goes, yeah, why? I said, then why would you be afraid to go walk into there if, if, if we both serve the same God? The last thing, if you hear those voices, the last thing those voices want is for me to walk through this door. Yeah. Now, mind you, I don't know where that came from. But I quickly snap back into military police mode and I'm going to open up the door. I open it up. I start scanning the room like I'm supposed to. I push. I finally figure out where this kid is. He's behind the door. Mm-hmm. As soon as I open it up, the kid sees me, sees that it's me. And he comes running towards me to a point where I'm just like, oh, here we go. We're going to get attacked. And he comes running it, and he's crying his eyes out, mm-hmm. saying, these voices won't leave me alone. I said, Okay. As I'm continuing to open up the door so I can get more light in there, so I can get more people into this room, because I don't know what this kid is going to do, and I don't know what this kid has. I walk over to his bed. We sit him on his bed, and I simply just start talking to him. I said, what voices are you talking to? And he goes, well, you know him. I'm like, how do I know him? He goes, well, you're, you're a Christian. I'm talking to Lucifer and his sister Lucy. And I'm like, are you serious? What? We start talking. I said, when these voices come, what do you usually do? Because I noticed he had this iPod, and he goes, I put these. Uh, I I get this i iPod, and I start listening to music. And I'm like, well, what the heck kind of music are you listening to? And he's like, well, you know, Eminem, Marilyn Manson, Nine Inch Nails, Slayer, Metallica, and I'm like, who puts this stuff on your music on your iPod? And he goes, well, my counselor. And so I start writing down a couple names of Christian bands. And I'm trying to think every Christian band I can think of and go, let's try this one, this one, this one, this one, whatever. And then I say to him, as I hand him the paper, I said, is there anything you want me to do? And he goes, could you just pray with me? And now, mind you, now the room is full of all the other workers and I go, yeah, I could pray with you. So I sit down and I close my eyes and I literally hold him in a way that I'm like, if he does anything, I got him. And I start praying. And then he goes, can you have some advice for me? And I go, well, the only thing, and now mind you, I have just started doing research into deliverance. This is like 2015. I have just started doing that. And so I'm just listening. All I say to him is this. I said, when you hear those voices, Tell him in Jesus' name to go away. And he goes, yep. that's going to work? And I go, in my mind, I'm going, well, this is a, what the worst That'll is going to happen? <laughs> It'll work. Yeah. And I said, but you need to tell your counselor to put some of this music on your iPod. And when you start hearing voices, listen to this music. And it's like casting crowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the ones I put on. Now, mind you. As soon as that happened and he had that episode and he finally meets his counselor and he gets that music. Cause he's pretty animated about get this music onto his iPod. He does. I don't see him for about two more weeks. I finally worked that how that unit again. And I come across him, and I'm telling you the moment I bump into this kid, you can just see complete change where yeah. he comes running up to me and he goes, I just love throwing crowns. And I'm like throwing crowns. What are you talking about? And he's like, I just love them. They're the great music. That's great. I love this band. And I'm like, you mean Casting Crowns? And he's like, yeah, yeah, them, them. them. And he goes, yeah, takes Mind you, the rest of the time he was at that facility, he did not have one. Episode and this kid usually had one to two episodes, if not three episodes a week, wow. and he didn't have one. Now I'm not saying that was me. I don't know if he was delivered. I don't know what because I I'm not even to this day. As I was talking to the leaders of my church, I'm like, I don't know what happened to this kid. But you're telling me demons don't exist. I've seen them because yeah. not only have I seen them in that facility. I've seen them in prison. I mean, Absolutely. another story that I can share with you, right? I had just got out of New York State Correctional Academy. I get sent to my first prison. It's one of the oldest prisons in the state of New York. And it's, it's Bedford Hills Correctional Facility, the only female maximum security prison in the state of New York. There was a unit, a housing unit where they're all behind bars or all in their cells. But when this is the first night that I'm working this housing unit, some of the old timers there said, what housing unit you got? And I told them, oh, you got the haunted one. I'm like, what do you mean the haunted one? What are you talking about? And he goes, you're going to hear voices throughout the week. Or you're going to, throughout your shift, you're going to hear things, and it's not going to be the inmates. I, I'm i just thinking they're playing games. So I go in there. I relieve the officer. By this time, all the inmates are behind their cell. So all I got to do is walk around, do my, do my rounds, make sure that they're all alive, everything like that. And at midnight, I start hearing knock. On the doors, I start hearing as if doors are opening. I start hearing loud screams, and I'm going, Oh crap. I as soon as I hear all that, I'm start doing arounds. I'm flashing lights through the into the cells. I'm looking at whatever because I'm thinking someone's either trying to kill themselves or whatever. Yep. My phone rings. It's one of the old timers. He goes, Did it happen yet? I said, What do you mean? what, what are you talking about? And he goes, Did you hear the voice? Did you hear the scream? It's, it's midnight. It's after midnight. You should have heard it. And I went, yeah, I did. And he goes, that's probably an inmate who died 20, 30 years ago. That, the, the, her, her spirit continues to haunt this cell or haunt this housing unit. I said, okay. I'm thinking they're still messing with me. I go back the next night, same thing. And finally, I don't know what it is. I'm, and, but this time, I'm doing a round towards midnight. And I'm in the area where this noise comes from. I heard the scream. It scared the crap out of me. But, and, and, and I'm looking, I'm shining my light through this one inmate cell. And in the, in the inmates asleep. But I hear it and I turn around. And I don't know what I said. I don't know what I prayed. I'd said, in the name of Jesus, get out of here. Be gone. You are not welcomed on this floor. Get out. Three days later, I'm working another housing unit. And one of the old timers gets that unit. Mm-hmm. It's the first time in months he's been in that unit. But he's looking on the log, and he notices people are writing, no voice no this no that and he sees the last person that worked that unit was me and now granted i didn't write no voice no whatever so he calls me after midnight and goes what did you do to the unit and i'm like what are you talking about and he goes well i'm working the housing unit blah blah, blah 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 and you know what it is you know it's the haunted unit and i'm like yeah and he goes what did you do because he goes Inmate so or officer so-and-so says, there has been no screams at night. I, he goes, I've called this officer. I've called the one that worked it after uh, uh, two days after you. I then called the guy that worked. He goes, I'm here three days later. He goes, I'm going to ask you, did you hear the scream at night? And I went, I did, but I prayed, get the heck out and told him whatever in Jesus name. And he was like, Since then, they've not heard the scream at night. Yep. There's power in the name of Jesus.
1: Just imagine if every church taught this. Could you imagine what the church would be doing today if we were this, if every church was this empowered and knew this truth and operated in this truth, our world wouldn't look like it does. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the plan of the enemy. He wants to make us impotent and never reach. Our calling that God has given us, never walk in the identity He's given us, and absolutely never walk in the authority He's given us. And we all exactly. have it it's in the Bible. Exactly. But you know, there's but,
0: a, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's just because I don't, I think there's a lot of Christians who simply have their head in the sand. Mm-hmm. And what they're hoping for is that Jesus comes back, we get raptured out of here, so we don't have, they use that as an excuse yeah to not have to really pay attention to what things are going on or pay attention to what is, what entertainment are you letting your kids watch yeah i'm telling you i've i know kids are not the easiest i mean i, I got a son who likes to push buttons and whatever else and we're slowly starting to teach him about deliverance and he, and he has told me in the house that we live in today, in South Carolina, that he has seen dark images, dark entities. He's seen, and he's describing, I wish I could remember exactly what he was describing, but we're telling him like, well, you could just say in the name of Jesus, be gone. And one time he described what he was seeing. And I remember telling my wife, I've seen that. I, I saw wasn't. that because- I said, one time, I walked into our bathroom. All the lights are on. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm walking into the bedroom. Lights are off in the bedroom. And when I walk in, I see someone standing in front of me. That's about the height of what my son would be. So I thought it was him. As I continue to walk, I, I, I realize I'm walking in that direction. And so I thought, Oh, I'm I'm about to run into my son. I literally stop, look, reach out, cause I could still see the outline of something. Reach out, and I don't touch. I'm just touching thin air. And I went, oh, oh no. This is not my son Whatever this is And I just say Get the heck out of here In Jesus name You're not welcome here This is not your home I don't care I cut all ties that you have Any legal rights you got Get the heck out of here In Jesus name You know And I think it's kind of interesting That in 2023 We got the come out in Jesus name movie You got the domino movie That Mike Sigalone did You got Jesus revolution Mm That come out It's kind of like after those movies have come out in 2023, you saw more spiritual warfare because the enemy is angry that this information is getting out. And I think there's a lot of people who are possessed, who are Christians, who are possessed by the spirit of religion. It's probably the biggest spirit out there that we need to cast out of our church and churches.
1: And I think, too, when you start talking about what opens doors to demons, that steps on a lot of toes and people don't want to give stuff up and they want to say that's not possible. I mean, like in my life, I can remember when I started learning about the things that I watched was an open door. Like I loved movies that had witchcraft in them. I was drawn to it. Me too. Horror. I loved horror movies. Me too. Halloween. We loved Halloween. We loved, you know, all the blood and gore when I had to start cleaning all that out and I realized, Oh, that's opening a door to demons. And then you teach this stuff. People are like, I don't need to give that up. Yoga is another one. Oh, well, let's just slap the name of Christian on it. That don't work. It's not about our intent. I think Christians always want to go back to, well, my intent is not to worship a demon. Well, here's the thing. Demons don't care about your intent. All they care about is does it open a door to them? And if we are practicing anything to do with witchcraft, it opens a door to them god does not differentiate Good. between if you're a witch or if you're entertaining witchcraft it does not matter somewhere along the line we think oh because our intent matters but the bible is clear if it's pagan occult or witchcraft we are to have nothing to do with it it's not even supposed to enter our home and yet we have decided as a church that it's okay if we say it's just for fun it's, it's just fun but the bible doesn't say that the bible says have nothing to do with it And I've literally cast demons out of children that came in through Harry Potter. The demons told me they came in through Harry Potter. The kids were doing witchcraft and spells. They were mimicking the show. And it's that Mm -hmm. dangerous. And yet we want to say intent matters. What may matter to us, but I don't think it matters to God. It's clear in his Bible. And I know it definitely doesn't matter to demons.
0: Right. And I can just, if I was back at home in New York, talking to that congregation, there are so many people that I would call friends that if you say you need to get rid of Harry Potter, you need to get rid of Disney Channel or Disney Plus, you need to get rid of Netflix, you need to get rid of this, you need to get rid of that. It's like they're ready to fight you. Literally. And they are going to claw your Eyes out, because honestly, the demon inside them doesn't want that to happen.
1: It's demonic manifestation. I mean, I yeah, absolutely. I see it all the time. It's almost like you can see the demon frothing at at the mouth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: there are many times in my career as a correction officer in New York, as a detention center officer in South Carolina, there are many times I talking to an inmate. I realize I'm not talking to the inmate. I'm talking to the demon that's possessed this person. Yeah, especially, like, I remember walking into intake in South in South Carolina, the detention center in South Carolina, and there. Look, in my career in New York, I have seen everything you can think of. I mean, if I wrote a book about all the crazy stuff I saw in New York, imagine dealing with inmates. Yeah. Nobody would believe it. They would be like, you're making this up. No, I saw this. And I walk into the intake and I smell the smell of human excrement. Which in my mind, I'm thinking either somebody flooded their cell or somebody's having fun with mm-hmm. their human excrement. I walk in. There I see it. There he is. He's drawing on the, the, the window with his human excrement. And I went, Ooh, the problem is I knew the inmate. I knew he wasn't mental health. I knew he was a part of gangs. Mm -hmm. I knew he wasn't a part of mental health. So as I walk by, this probably doesn't shed me. It probably doesn't show me in a very good light, but I walk up to him and I go, and his last name was Rodriguez. I'm like, Rodriguez, what are you doing? And he's like, Oh, I'm just playing around. And I went, can you do me a favor? And he goes, yeah, what's that? I'm like, can you draw me a cat? And he goes, yeah, I could draw you a cat, whatever. As I'm looking at his eyes, I'm like, his eyes don't normally look like that. Yeah. They are just, mm. and then I walk over into intake and my lieutenant walks over to me and goes, everybody here responded to him and thought, oh my God, that's nasty. But you didn't respond to him in that way. Why'd you talk to him? I went, I'm looking at him. I go, is he mental health? No, normally he's not mental health. I'm like, then why are you letting him do that? I said, besides, you might want to call an exorcist. And they're Mm -hmm. like, why? I'm like, because this guy has something. He's demonic. And as I walk by, I look at him like, hey, Rodriguez. Because I usually knew that when he was in the housing units, he was very religious I just walked by him. And I'm like, Rodriguez, you need deliverance. And when you finally get out of the one-on-one cell, come see me. And he's like, no problem, Gardner, as he's continuing to draw me a cat. Oh, my goodness. And when I finally saw him, I said, you got a demon in you. And he goes, no, I don't. I'm like, yeah, you do. You got him. He's deep. I don't know how many other demons you got, but you got him in you. And you got to have that demon come out in Jesus' name. And either... I said, either you truly are saved or something tells me you're not. I I can't see your heart. I can't see if you truly have changed as far as with your heart. Because if you have the Holy Spirit inside you, let me ask you, do you want that demon out? And he was like, I don't know what demon you're talking about. And I went, that's the demon talking. But okay, if you want that demon out, When you finally come to the point where you want that demon out, either come see me if I'm still here or go find deliverance and get that demon cast out of you. Because if you have the Holy Spirit there, you should be able to cast this thing out unless you don't got the Holy Spirit inside you. And something's telling me you don't. Mm -hmm. So we need to save your soul. So let's have a talk about what Jesus Christ did for you. Now, let's see if you truly believe it or not. Spiritual warfare is absolutely insane. In and the, it's the real. system, And it's extremely real in yeah. the darkest places. And I think it's interesting that, you know, I say the darkest places in the world. There are people, we hear stories about what happens in places like Africa, and countries like Africa. To them, spiritual warfare is like second nature because they've seen it their entire life. But in America, we've never seen this stuff
1: yeah you don't have to like i i have a ministry over there that i teach a lot like i do conferences online for them you don't have to convince them about spiritual warfare they know about it they just want to know how to be victorious with it like you don't have to try to talk them into it you don't have to try to show them over and over and over no they know and they want freedom it's very very different right
0: Well, I think this has been an extremely interesting conversation. And if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how do they,
1: do you got a website or do you got anything that you want to promote here? Sure. Um, People can reach out to me. If you're on Facebook, you can find our ministry group It's called Fullness of Joy Ministry. Uh, When you type that into the search bar, you're going to find a ministry page and a group. Y'all join the group. I'm in there. I'm active. I'm in there pretty much every day. Um, you can also find me on our website. It's fullnessofjoyministry.com dot com. And then anybody can email me at fullness of ministry at gmail.com. Sorry, I should have this written down. I'm not oh, used no. to the, it's okay. where you all of that. But yeah, so you can find me on Gmail. You can find me on Facebook, on YouTube, you can find me under my name, just Nicole Henson, and on TikTok, you can find me under my name, Nicole Henson. Um, okay. yeah, you can reach out yeah. me on pretty much any platform.
0: Okay. And and you can send me the links to all that information and all that information will be in the description of this podcast, whether you're listening to the podcast or whether you're watching the pad, the podcast, it will all be in the description. So just send me that link. So Nicole, it has been an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you. I think we can, I think I could talk to you until Jesus comes back because yes. <laughs> this has been really a great conversation. Even if we, uh, we did have a technical difficulty a little bit for those of you that may or, you know, you might have seen it. You might not, depending on I got to check on that and see what it looked like. But it has been absolutely a pleasure having you on. Nicole, may God bless you. and May God bless your ministry, because Me we too. need to get this out there. That deliverance is real. Christians can have demons. This stuff is for real. And God wants you to be free of it in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. We believe you were encouraged and strengthened by this episode. If this was a blessing to you, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Please leave a review on this podcast wherever you consume podcasts. It will help a lot go to the show's website at dongardner.weebly.com and may God bless you and keep you on the solid rock.